Hey guys, and welcome back to an all new episode of Unknown Serial Killers. Thank you again for tuning in and continue to listen to each and every episode. We're here to uncover the murderous minds of your average people. As always, viewers discretion is advised because we're talking about violence, murder, and possible drug use. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, please go check it out because you don't want to miss it. Let's get into it and talk about the Atlanta murders. The Atlanta murders of 1978 to 1981, sometimes called the Atlanta Child Murderers, was a series of murderers committed in Atlanta, Georgia between July 1978 and May 1981. Over the two-year period, at least 28 children, adolescents, and adults were killed. In the middle of 1979, Edward Hope Smith, also known as Teddy, 14, and Alfred Evans, also known as Q, 13, disappeared four days apart. Their bodies were found on July 28th in a wooded area. Smith, with a 22 caliber gunshot wound to his upper back, they were believed to be the first victims of the punitive Atlanta child killer. On September 4th, the next victim, 14-year-old Milton Harvey, disappeared while on an errand to the bank for his mother. He was riding a yellow 10-speed bike, which was found a week later in a remote area of Atlanta. His body was not recovered until November of that year. On October 21st, nine-year-old Yusuf Bell went to a store to buy brute and snuff for a neighbor, Eula Birdsing, at Reese Grocery on McDonald Street. A witness says she saw Yusuf near the intersection of McDaniel and Fulton get into a blue car before he disappeared. His body was found on November 8th in the abandoned E.P. Johnson Elementary School by a school janitor who was looking for a place to urinate. Bell's body was found clothed in the brown cut-off shorts he was last seen wearing, though they had a piece of masking tape stuck to them. He had been hit over the head twice, and the cause of death was strangulation. Police did not immediately link his disappearance to the previous killings. On March 4, 1980, the first male victim, 12-year-old Angela disappeared. She left her house around 4 p.m. wearing a denim outfit and was last seen at a friend's house watching a television program, Sanford and Son. Her body was found six days later in a wooded vacant lot along Campbellton Road wearing the same clothes in which she had left home. A pair of white panties that did not belong to her was stuffed in her mouth and her hands were bound with an electrical cord. The cause of death was strangulation. On March 11th, one week after an Angel's disappearance, 11-year-old Jeffrey Mathis disappeared while on an errand for his mother. He was wearing gray jogging pants, brown shoes, and a white and green shirt. Months later, a girl said she saw him get into a blue car with a light-skinned man and a dark-skinned man. The body of Jeffrey Matthews was found in a briar-covered patch of woodlands 11 months after he disappeared by which time it was not possible to identify a cause of death. On May 18th, 15-year-old Eric Middlebrooks disappeared. He was last seen answering the telephone at home, then leaving in a hurry on his bicycle, taking with him a hammer to repair the bicycle. His body was found the following day next to his bicycle in the rear garage of an Atlanta bar. The bar was located next door to to what was then the Georgia Department of Offender Rehabilitation. His pockets were turned inside out. His chest and arms had slight stab wounds, and the cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma to the head. 
A few weeks before he disappeared, Middlebrooks has testified against three juveniles in a robbery case. On June 9th, 12-year-old Christopher Richardson went missing on his way to a local pool. He was last seen walking towards the Delcap County Midway Recreation Center in Midway Park. He was wearing blue shorts, a light blue shirt, and blue tennis shoes. His body was not found until the following January, clothed in unfamiliar swimming trunks, along with the body of a later victim, Earl Terrell. The case of Richardson's death was not determined. On June 22nd, seven-year-old Latanya Wilson disappeared from her parents' apartment. According to a witness, she appeared to have been abducted by two men. One of them was seen climbing into the apartment window and then allowing Wilson in his arms as he spoke to the other man in the parking lot. On October 18th, Wilson's body was found in a fenced-in area at the end of Verbena Street in Atlanta. By then, the body has skeletonized and no cause of death could be established. The next day, June 23rd, 10-year-old Aaron Wench disappeared after having been seen near a local grocery store getting into a blue Chevrolet with either one or two black men. A female witness says she saw Wench being led from Tanner's Corner grocery by a six-foot-tall, 180-pound black male, approximately 30 years old, with a mustache and goatee. The witness's description of the car best a description of a similar car implicated in the earlier Jeffrey Mathis disappearance. At 6 p.m., Wench was seen at a shopping center. The following day, Wench's body was found under the bridge. The physical cause of death was asphyxiation from a broken neck suffered in a fall. In July 1980, two more children, 9-year-old Anthony Carter and 10-year-old Earl Terrell, were murdered. Clifford Jones, age 13, disappeared on August 20th. He was found dead from strangulation. His body was found on August 21st behind a dumpster in the rear of the former Hollywood Plaza shopping center. Darren Glass, age 10, was reported missing on September 14th. His body has not been recovered. Charles Stevens, age 12, was reported missing on October 9th. His body was found the next day. Police determined that he had been suffocated. Aaron Jackson, age 9, went missing on November 1st. His body was discovered the next day strangled, lying face up on a riverbank. Patrick Rogers, age 16, known several of the previous victims. He went missing on November 30th. His body was found on December 7th in the Chattersea River. Police speculated that he was dropped from the bridge above. The murders continued until 1981. The first known victim in the new year was 14-year-old Luby Getter, who disappeared on January 3rd. Getter's body was found on February 5th. Getter's friend, 15-year-old Terry Pugh, went missing on January 4th. An anonymous caller told the police where to find Pugh's body. Terry lived in the same apartment as Edward Teddy Smith, who was killed in 1979. In February and March 1981, six more bodies were discovered, believed to be linked to the previous homicides. Among the deceased was the body of 21-year-old Eddie Duncan, the first adult victim. In April, 20-year-old Larry Rogers, 28-year-old John Porter, and 21-year-old Jimmy Ray Payne were murdered. Porter and Payne were ex-convicts and had just recently been released from Arendelle State Prison after serving time for burglary. On May 12, 1981, FBI 
agents found the body of 17-year-old William Billy Star Barrett on the curb in a wooded area near his home. A witness, 32-year-old Harold Wood, a custodian from the Southeast High School, had run out of gas about a mile from the scene. Wood described the black man standing over and observing of the location where the body was found before driving away in a white over blue Cadillac. During the end of May 1981, the last reported victim was added to the list. 27-year-old Nathaniel Carter. He was last seen by Gardner Robert I. Henry at the entrance of the Velado Theater in Atlanta reported holding hands with William with Wayne Williams. His body was recovered two days later. Investigators Chet Dellinger created a map of the victim's location. Despite the difference in ages, the victims fell within the same geographic perimeter. They were connected to Memorial Drive and 11 major streets in the area. During the murders, more than 100 agents were working on the investigation. The city of Atlanta imposed curfews and parents in the city removed their children from school and forbid them from playing outside. As the media coverage of the killings intensified, the FBI predicted that the killer might dump the next victim into a body of water to conceal any evidence. Police staked out nearly a dozen area bridges, including crossings of the Chattanooga River. During a stakeout on May 22, 1981, detectives got their first major break when an officer heard a splash beneath the bridge. Another officer saw a white 1970 Chevrolet station wagon turn around and drive back across the bridge. The two police cars later stopped the suspect station wagon about a mile, half map on the bridge. The driver was 23-year-old Wayne Bertram Williams, a suspected, supposed music promoter and freelance photographer. The Chevrolet wagon belonged to his parents. Dog hair and fibers recovered from the rear of the vehicle were later used as evidence in the case against Williams as similar fabric was found on some of the victims. They were found to match his dog in the carpet in his parents' house. During questioning, Williams said he was on his way to audition a woman, Cheryl Johnson, as a singer. Williams claimed she lived in a nearby town of Siren. Police did not find any record of her or the appointment. Two days later, on May 24th, the new body of Nathaniel Cater, 27, was found floating downriver a few miles from the bridge where police had seen the suspicious station wagon. Based on this evidence, including the police officer's hearing of the splash, police believed that William had killed Cater and disposed of his body while the police was nearby. Investigations, investigations who stopped Williams on the bridge noticed gloves and a 24-inch nylon cord sitting in the passenger seat. According to investigators, the cord looked similar to the lig- ligature marks found on Cater and other victims, but the cord was never taken into evidence for analysis. Adding to a growing list of suspicious circumstances, Williams has handed out flyers in predominantly black neighborhoods calling for young people aged 11 to 21 to audition for his new singing group that he called Gemini. Williams failed an FBI-administered polygraph examination, though polygraph results are not admissible as evidence in criminal court. Fibers from a carpet in Williams' residence were found to match those observed on two of the victims. Additional fibers from, from Williams' home, vehicles, and pet dog were later matched to fibers discovered on all the victims. Furthermore, witness Robert Henry claimed to have seen Williams holding hands and walking with Nathaniel Cater on the night Cater is believed to have died. 
On June 21st, 1981, Williams was arrested. A grand jury indicted him for first-degree murder in the death of Nathaniel Cater and Jimmy Ray Payne, age 22. The trial date was set for early 1982. Jury selection began on December 28, 1981, and it lasted six days. Nine women and three men composed the jury. Among them were eight African-Americans and four Caucasians. The trial officially began on January 6, 1982, with Judge Clarence Cooper presiding. The most important evidence against Williams has was the fiber analysis between the victims who he was in, indicated for murdering Jimmy Ray Payne and Nathaniel Cater and the 12 pattern murder cases in which circumstantial evidence accumulated and numerous links between the crimes. His This evidence included witnesses who testified that they have seen Williams with the victims and some victims suggested that he had solicited sexual favors. The prosecution presents presentation of the case has been criticized to the extent that in some jurisdictions it might have resulted in a mistrial. In particular, who separated FBI special agents testified that the chances of victims not having come into contact with Williams was virtually impossible based solely on a comparative of the fibers which were found on the victims, which seemed to match the fibers which were found in the suspect's car at home. After reviewing the case, Georgia Supreme Court Justice George T. Smith deemed the evidence or the lack, therefore, of admissible. On February 27, 1982, after 11 hours of deliberation, the jury found Wayne Bertram Williams guilty of the two murders. He was sentenced to two consecutive life terms in Georgia, Georgia's Hancock State Prison in Sparta. Whew, I know that was a lot. I couldn't take any breaks to like talk to you guys, but that was definitely a lot. Um, I'm not too sure if he was the guy who actually did it just because they saw him dumping a body and just because they have like, you know, fiber evidence or things like that. I'm not too hot, tight, entirely sure this is the right guy, but they haven't found the guy who killed these other people. If he was the guy who killed these two guys, why is he, isn't he linked to any of these other murders? Um, but that's the question for next time. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Um, please come back to listen and engage again. Hopefully you guys, like I said, hopefully you guys come back. Like I always tell you guys, be careful. Be careful, be careful, be careful who you run into and who you talk to and who you date because you never know who they kill. See you guys next week.